Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 143. Jeremiah, the wise son, and the Sistine Ceiling. I'm Mayor Soloveitcher. When one engages in the seemingly simple act of Googling the famous rabbinic sage Rabbi Akiva, one will find an image associated with him, depicting a rabbi sitting with his hand held up contemplatively to his head, a head crowned by a skullcap. A familiarity with the basics of biblical art allows for the instant understanding that this is not actually Akiva, but rather the imagined image of the prophet Jeremiah as given to us by none other than Michelangelo on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. As you can see based on the links we have sent you, the image of Akiva is largely the same as the one on the Sistine, with the sole significant fact being the skullcap that has been added, changing biblical prophet of the first temple age into the embodiment of a rabbi. But where does this Akiva come from? The answer is that it's not actually meant to be Akiva at all. In 1560, one of the great Haggadahs, joining Passover liturgy and exquisite art, was published in the Italian city of Mantua. And for the image of the Chacham, the wise son, the first of the four sons described in the Haggadah text, the Haggadah's creators chose Michelangelo's Jeremiah, taken straight off the ceiling of the Sistine. It was the Chacham, the wise son, not Akiva, that was intended. As the historian Cecil Roth put it, the Haggadah was illustrated, quote, in accordance with Italian styles and tastes. The wise son, for example, with his chin on hand in pensive attitude, is exactly imitated from the neck downwards from the prophet Jeremiah in Michelangelo's famous fresco in Rome, though the head is original and may be characterized as Jewish in appearance and costume. End quote. How then did this image become eternally affiliated with Akiva, according to no less an authority than Google itself? Roth, writing before the age of the internet, further informs us that this was a product of printing. Because Rabbi Akiva also appears in the Haggadah, the picture got moved when a commentary was added to another printing of the volume. Quote, As an incidental consequence of the marginal rearrangement owing to the introduction of the commentary, the Michelangelesque wise son of 1560 is now transferred to various different positions and relabeled at one point Rabbi Akiva, and as such is now frequently reproduced as his traditional portrait. End quote. Thus, ladies and gentlemen, the original intention of those making the Matzwa Haggadah was to link Jeremiah, not with Akiva, Google notwithstanding but rather with the wise son. But why should this be? Why would the publishers of an artistic and liturgical tome dedicated to Passover have chosen Jeremiah as the embodiment of the Chacham, the wise son, the pictorial personification of wisdom? Even if they were deliberately seeking inspiration from Western artists, why not select, say, Michelangelo's Moses, rather than a prophet so associated with the destruction of Judea and Jerusalem? We cannot know for sure what those producing this work may have had in mind. And it may have been mere artistic affectation. But I would like to suggest today that the image ought to inspire us to ponder the lessons of the life of the prophet whose words we begin to engage today, as well as one Spanish Jewish exegete who wrote about him. Beginning a new biblical book, we set the historical stage. Around 697 BCE, the great king Hezekiah is succeeded by Menashe, his son, who is the opposite of his father. 
Rather than oppose Assyrian influence, he makes its paganism a central part of Judean culture itself. The temple in Jerusalem is turned into a pantheon of the gods. Menashe rules for over five decades, and Israel becomes so suffused in pagan culture that the Almighty's anger at his chosen people is overwhelming, and what was once unthinkable is now divinely declared. Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. Menashe is followed for two years by his wicked son Ammon, who is then assassinated. And at this moment, two extraordinary figures appear. One is King Josiah, who we have already discussed. And then there is Jeremiah, born to a priestly family in Anatot, a city in Benjamin. Jeremiah will prophesy throughout his life, and what he will say is that because the spiritual golden age of Hezekiah was followed by the pagan embrace of Menashe, therefore, the near destruction of Judea by Assyria will be followed by total destruction at the hands of Babylonia. The main portion of Jeremiah's career will take place during the reigns of Josiah's successors, Yehoiakim, Yehoiachin, and Zedekiah. The kings of Judah will be told by the prophet of Babel's victory that God wishes for Israel to repent and surrender, but Jeremiah's words will go unheeded. According to the opening of the biblical book that bears his name, Jeremiah was but a child when he was sanctified and dedicated to his prophetic duties. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anatoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. We have then Jeremiah's rejoinder to God. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. The verse seemingly could not be more clear. Jeremiah is incredibly young upon becoming a prophet. His phrase in Hebrew is, Ki na'ar anochi, I am a very young man. But this presents a deep difficulty for Maimonides, who himself believed that prophecy could only be achieved after years of intellectual engagement. Maimonides therefore insisted that Jeremiah speaks here of his ultimate inadequacy, not literally about his age. The position of Maimonides was then attacked by Don Isaac Abravanel, the great Sephardic sage, who grew up in Portugal and then left and led Spanish Jewry until the expulsion in 1492. Abravanel strenuously responds in his own commentary that Maimonides is profoundly mistaken, that Jeremiah was indeed quite young, and that Maimonides misunderstands the prophetic process. As Abravanel put it in Hebrew, the biblical book goes out of its way, Abravanel argues, to show how mistaken Maimonides' position is, because it tells us openly that Jeremiah's career began in the 13th year of Josiah, and that he prophesied for 40 years. Abravanel, amazingly, then adds that that the Greek scholars, this apparently is a reference to the church fathers, have testified that Jeremiah, at the end of his life, met Plato in Egypt. That claim, ladies and gentlemen, is not one that we will be examining today. 
Nevertheless, Abravanel's point is that a basic mathematical analysis of Jeremiah's age and life indicates that he was indeed a young boy when he began to proclaim the Word of God. Whereas Maimonides, in his philosophical focus, cannot comprehend how one can achieve prophecy without first embodying intellectual brilliance, Abravanel, who himself embodied the philosophical and intellectual excellence that Maimonides celebrates, nevertheless himself insists in response to Maimonides that the greatest wisdom of all, the revelation of God, can be bestowed even on one who is but a boy. Now, many scholars of Abravanel note that his approach to Jeremiah is linked to one of his most controversial comments in his introduction to this biblical book. There, Abravanel claims that even as the 40 years of Jeremiah's prophetic career creates a deliberate parallel to Moses and is a sign of his stunning spiritual greatness, nevertheless, at the same time, Abravanel insists, one can sense from Jeremiah's Hebrew that the prophet lacked an education that other prophets had. Or, as Abravanel himself put it, I believe, Abravanel writes, that Jeremiah was not perfect in the ordering of words and in the eloquence of expression, like Isaiah was. Thus, Jeremiah, according to Barbanel, reflects his youth and lack of education in his prophecies. This statement by Abravanel, ladies and gentlemen, is deemed highly untraditional by others who believe that one ought not to say such a thing about prophetic material. And I am personally sympathetic to their critique of Abravanel. After all, God, as I mentioned, speaks specifically of placing words in Jeremiah's mouth. But be that as it may, Abravanel means all this as a compliment to Jeremiah. For what he is saying is that ultimately what mattered was not his oratorical training, but his spiritual sense. And in this, Jeremiah achieved stunning greatness. It is striking, therefore, that it is Isaac Abravanel who makes this praise of Jeremiah the prophet. For few men were as educated as Abravanel. As the historian Benzio Netanyo notes in his biography of the Sephardic rabbi, from his courtier father in Portugal, Abravanel would have received, along with a training in Torah, an education in the entire intellectual tradition of the West. And yet ultimately Abravanel is saying that as admirable as intellectual excellence actually is, what matters most is not our own inquiries, about God in the world, but ultimately knowing what God asks of us. That is the true wisdom. We are now able, perhaps, to discern a connection between Jeremiah and the wise son of the Haggadah. As all those who sat at his Seder know, we are only given one line from the wise son. He does not show off all that he has learned. He does not display the vast array of his knowledge. He does not illustrate to us his intellectual excellence. What sets him apart is not Talmudic brilliance nor extraordinary eloquence. His one question is ultimately not that complicated, but it thereby embodies his wisdom. What, he says, does God wish me to do? What are the testimonies, statutes, and laws that the Lord our God has commanded you? This, in the end, is what the truest wisdom ultimately is. Or, as we are told later in Tanakh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Jeremiah, at the end of the ninth chapter in his book, will put it this way, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. 
It is Abravanel in his commentary on this verse who explains that Jeremiah here speaks of three different intellectual fields. By wisdom, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Jeremiah refers to philosophy or metaphysics. In the phrase, let not the mighty man glory in his might, Jeremiah refers to political power. And in his reference to wealth, Jeremiah is describing a capacity for economics. All these, Abravanel argues, are important, but we must remember, he concludes, that they pale in comparison to the truest value of all, which is faith. And we can note here that Abravanel writes, perhaps, in an autobiographical vein, for he was one of the only individuals in Jewish history who truly worked in all three of these fields. In Portugal, he served as a tax farmer for the Duke of Braganza, then applied similar skills on behalf of Ferdinand and Isabella in Spain, thus economics. When it comes to wisdom, Abravanel not only engaged the philosophy and mysticism of his Sephardic predecessors, but he also, as Benzio Netanyahu notes, had a complete classical education in Seneca and the Christian writers. And as for political power, Abravanel served as a statesman in the court of two kingdoms. But ladies and gentlemen, what was most important to Abravanel? In the end, when all was on the line, when the Jews were about to be expelled, and Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain urged Abravanel to convert and stay with them, something that many other Jews did. When the king and queen of Spain promised Abravanel wealth and power, Abravanel, under enormous pressure, said no and left, left with his people. The expulsion from Spain, Abravanel reports, occurred on or around the 9th of Av, the date of the destruction of the temple witnessed by Jeremiah, the day with which Jeremiah is most affiliated. In the end, in other words, all Abravanel could do was ask the question put forward by the wise son of the Haggadah, a sentence intoned in joy on that festival evening, but words that for Abravanel himself implied an awesome obligation. What does the God of our fathers ask of us? It was based on this most essential form of wisdom, the spiritual wisdom that Abravanel celebrates in his description of Jeremiah's prophecy, that this great man departed Spain. Today, the empire of Ferdinand and Isabella is no more, and Abravanel lives immortally in the memory of Jews. What Bencio Netanyahu says about Abravanel's writings can be said as well by us about the man, this Chacham, this wise son. Quote, Abravanel lost the political battle for his people, and his struggle on their behalf in the courts of kings and magnates was, as he said, wasted effort. But Abravanel also fought for his people's soul, and in this struggle, he won a complete victory. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.